At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's going on? Welcome into a very special edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek on this Wednesday. I'm Daniel Salerson, and we're going to turn back the clock today to... As I mentioned, a very special Pelicans podcast tonight on Fox Sports New Orleans. Uh, They will re-air a game between the New Orleans Jazz and the New York Knicks from February 25th, 1977. It's the day that Pete Maravich went for 68 points. We're going to hear from Hall of Famer Bob McAdoo in a little bit to get a New York perspective on this big accomplishment by Pete Maravich. But first off, we are, are happy to be joined by Otto Moore, who played with Pete Maravich for a few seasons in New Orleans. He joins me now via the telephone. Otto, I really appreciate the time. First off, how are you and your family doing right now during this depth time? Right now, we're doing pretty good. Like I said before, we're trying to stay safe. So uh, everything is pretty good right now here. Absolutely. Glad you all are being safe. Um, Let's go back to that game. I have so many questions for you, but I'm going to start with a very simple one. And what do you remember about that night in New Orleans where Pete Maravich went off? Well, I bet you told me what I don't have much time to tell you. I guess <laughs> the big thing, let me tell you about Pete. Pete, if you play with Pete, Pete was like, uh, I would say, vengeful. If you, if like, let me say this. We played the Knicks. When we played the Knicks prior, prior to that game, we went to New York, up in New York, and we played the Knicks. And they, they uh, he didn't have a very good game. And the next day in the paper, they talked about the defense that was played on Pete. I think Pistol now, maybe you could look it up. I don't remember, but he may have gotten only 15, 12, 15, 16, 17 points in that game. I could be off on my points, but he didn't play particularly well. But they talked about the defense because I think maybe, as usual, three or four different guys were thrown at Pete. And and I don't want to put the referees into this thing, but you see where he fouls are not being called. He felt he's not getting the call. He's being bumped all night, pushed all night. He's missing shots. They're not getting get. They're not. He's not getting the calls. 
he felt he should get. And I agree with that. I'm there. Mm-hmm. And the next day in the paper was all about the Knicks' defense. And Pete was and Pete was like this. When Pete lose, he he took it he took it hard. We all I, we all took losing hard. You don't like to lose, but Pete took it to another level. And next day he he usually wouldn't talk to anybody because we we're on the plane coming home and going to the next city. Pete wouldn't talk to you maybe for a day or two. And he didn't talk. He didn't talk at all. He didn't say anything. And we knew to leave. You leave, leave him alone. You don't try to make jokes or small talk with him because he didn't make jokes or small talks with you. And we must have played the Knicks maybe, I'm going to say, a week later. No more than a week later. Could have been 10 days later. We played the Knicks at home, New Orleans. And he come in and it wasn't that unusual, but he didn't talk. He didn't say he didn't talk say anything to anybody during the warm ups. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything to him either. He was real quiet. I mean, very quiet, unusually quiet. And that and um, that night, <laughs> that night was something special. And um, I'm saying this after the game. He said, and he did. He, he was kind of he was laughing a little bit, joking. And I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. He said, I want to know where the defense was at tonight. He said, Otto, where was the defense at tonight? He did. He said, Otto, I feel like it was just yesterday. Where was the defense at tonight? And I wanted to write about their defense tomorrow. I want to see what they say about their defense. That's how he was. The same thing with Denver. Had a game with Denver, the same thing. Uh, Fatty Taylor and, and Hondo McLean did the same thing to him up there in Denver. Denver came to us no more than, I guess, a week later. He tore him up. He ate him up. And the same thing, though, it's the same vibe. He didn't speak. He don't talk. He didn't say, he didn't say nothing to anybody. Halftime, he didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say anything. But you learned to leave him alone. Or you didn't talk to him. You didn't bother him. And he did them the same way. Look it up. I don't know. what I can't remember what he scored up there in Denver, but I know it's the same scenario. And um, he was amazing. Yeah, we'll have to look up that that game. That's for sure. But it seemed like Otto, you kind of had a feeling that this could be a game he he goes off on, especially with how quiet he was during the uh, warm ups and at halftime. He seemed really motivated to really get some revenge on the Knicks. When you started the game and he started hitting those shots, is that when it confirmed to you that okay, Pete's going to have a very big night tonight? No, because that was pistol pistol. You know, you 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 know what you say. You get used to seeing, seeing seeing him play. Now you may not see, get used, you know, like big numbers like what he got. But when you went out and play, you knew that was pistol. That was just that that, that was pistol. He used to tell me. So I used to tell you, I watch guys today who take the ball out of bounds. I used to always take the ball out of bounds. I say ninety eight percent of the time or ninety five percent of the time, I always took the ball out of it. Ball going, I take the ball out of bounds, and he would come by and tell me, take it out real quick. 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 And, it, and I'm going to tell you, about 80% of the time, I took it out real quick and went to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's going to go. That's why he's gone. He's going to go. And he can beat you. But you backpedaling. He could he get down the floor. You're backpedaling on me. You're in trouble. How would you describe his basketball style on the court? You mentioned the fast play and the competitiveness that he had. But how would you describe his style of play when he was on the court? His style, 
Yeah, more just kind of what what was he like on the court? You know, there's a lot of us that will be listening to this that didn't even have the pleasure to watch him play a game. So just kind of what he was on the court, whether, you know, he was a flasher, you know, a, a ball distributor, you know, a point guard that was ball dominant. Kind of what kind of style would you describe Pete Maravich as far as his on the court play? Man, that's just like style. That's I guess his own style, but he was all that. You talking about he he you know, they didn't talk about his assist neither. He get you. He get you ten. He get you eight, nine to ten assists, and you know almost night in, night out, he gonna get six, seven, eight assists, night in and night out. And and his demeanor was always, you know, the same. You talk about how Michael played on the court. He wanna you get you down. He wanna he can, he wanna step on you. Pete was the same way. Just a different way of putting it. Pete wasn't vocal with it, but you knew, you know, Pete never. Back then, guys, really, leaders didn't really say much to players on the floor. Like, you see how guys vocal and talking to guys on the floor. But you knew with him, you knew what he wanted. Like, I told you, he come to me and say, not only me, but not the game, he'd say, get the ball in bounce, get the ball in bounce, get it in bounce, let's go. Because he's gone. He he want to play that up-tempo game all all the time. All the time. Glad, all the time. He's always, glad, I feel like he, he's always in attack mode. Yeah. No, that's that's what, what I've heard from other people. You know, we, we're, you're going to hear from Bob McAdoo in a little bit, but that's kind of how he described him as a player as well. And I'm glad he mentioned the assist because that night he also led the team in assists. So not only did he score 68 points, but he also dished out. I have the numbers right here. I believe he had he had six assists, which led the team, which is crazy enough that how much yeah. he was able to share with his teammates, even though he was having such a great game. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on as far as this game is concerned, you know, can you imagine what it would have been like if there was a three-point line involved with Pete? You know, he did all this with no three-point line. Can you imagine how many points he might have had or even how many points he would have averaged if there was a three-point line back then? <laughs> I'm laughing because that, all, that that used to come up more times than not. He would say, even, from, even in college, he said, do you realize how many points? I got you out of by not having the three point line in college. We we would say Pete, he got you, Pete. You missed another about two thousand points from college. He said, Yeah, I know. We do that all the time. And in the, in the league, we say, Man, if three point line would have been would have been would have been there then, uh, his point total would have been out of sight. And I say this too. You talking about his three point line? He rebound too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they did. Mitch is rebounding. I'm gonna take I'll keep it short. Uh, me and Rich Kelly, you know, I was on the team with Rich Kelly, and Pete, Pete, I rebounded both of us one night. He did. He got, he he got. I don't know. It might have been twelve, thirteen, whatever he got, but he out rebound me and Rich Kelly, and 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 I felt it was to me it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing, and I made the statement that'll never happen again. Not toward him, but I felt for me what I'm supposed to be doing. Pete not supposed to be leading the team in rebounding. Even if I don't lead in the rebounding, I'm supposed to have two more than anybody else on the team. Even Rich supposed we supposed to be the rebounder. Or Ron Behagen. Ron Behagen was a good rebounder. You know, before we got Truck. And then Truck came. He's a rebounder. But Truck was a net in when that happened. And I made the statement, I tell you, I said that'll never happen again. He'll never out rebound me again. 
in a game, and and it never did happen again. I stepped up because that particular night, I don't, I just was not in the cause the way we played, the way the way I played, and I just say I'm not tipping him by not doing my job, at least doing that. And that never, it never did happen again. It was very, I felt it was embarrassing that he got more rebounds than me at my height and his height and position that he played. And he's doing everything else. Well, you did lead the team in rebounding that night. You had nine, um, and Pete Maravich only had six. So you did you did lead the team in rebounding that night, but Pete scored 68. Um, another Pete question I had for you, because I can tell how competitive he was based on how you're describing him, but what about him as a teammate, just on and off the court? How would you describe Pete as a teammate in your time spending with him? Pete was a good teammate. Um, he he was an Pete, Pete would Pete would joke or say funny things from time to time, like 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 certain guys on our team. <laughs> we were jokers, <laughs> we 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 pull pranks, <laughs> you know. We we joke a lot, and uh, you know, Pete 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 was a joker. You know, you say what type of teammate he was again. I, I talk about. Pete to other people, name come up, and I said, certain things, if I could go back, you know, you can't never go back. You can only you look ahead, but if it was a way you can go back and relive the time, Pete was a, a phenomenal free throw shooter. And I would go back, and I would t- go to him. I don't know if he would do it. I think he would and say, Pete, I, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I may not be getting but three or four um, free throws a game. But if I get three, I'm going to hit all three because I wasn't a, a good free throw shooter. I was not a good free throw shooter. I mean, I practiced him, but he was a phenomenal free throw shooter. And I go back to any team that I played on. I should have went to the free throw shooters on the team like Calvin Murphy, or Tiny Archibald, and say, I want you to help me with my free throw shooting. I don't get but three or four, but I want to be four for four. Not two for four, not three for four. I want to be four for four. Just help me tell me what I'm doing, what I'm what I'm doing, and what I should be doing to be a better free throw shooter. And I would have did that with him, even even on my jump shot. Pete, tell me what I'm doing. Help me on my jump shot. Can can you help me on my jump shot? And I, I believe he would have, but I never went to him. I never went to any to anyone. In fact, you know, to try to improve what you what you're not good at. You mentioned the pranks. Was there anyone that you can remember that he had a good prank on you guys or that he pulled off? Was there anything appropriate that we can discuss that, that some of the pranks that he was able to pull off as a jokester? No. I, all I know is... <laughs> <laughs> they Fair all, enough. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but they always bothered Nate Williams. And it, and it took a bit. They always... Ron would, would always get Nate Williams. It was always something with Nate Williams. And it's to the point that <laughs> joking with Nate Williams, Elgin would get in on the jokes with Nate Williams. And uh, I can say that at that time, Nate was wearing like a, a toupee <laughs> back then. And it, it was always something. <laughs> it was always something. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, <I'm> <laughs> So I'm guessing that the hair was kind of the focus on some of those Nate Williams pranks then. <laughs> Maybe we should get Nate Williams on to figure out 
some of those pranks. <laughs> oh, um, let's oh, talk man. about this game. I'm going to talk about the game for one more second. I want to bring something up. Feel free to answer it if you want. If not, please understand. But a little birdie told me that you might have had a little scuffle in that 68-point game with a uh, a really well-known person to this day. Uh, can you confirm or deny or plead the fifth on an altercation potentially with Phil Jackson in that game? Yeah, you know, me and, me and Phil got tangled up. Mm-hmm. And um, I, before we got tangled up, Phil was doing some unnecessary stuff, I felt, to grab it and hold it. And I'm wondering, why, why are you holding me? Why are you grabbing me? Mm-hmm. And the officials are here. And the officials, as usual, they, they, they don't, they don't make calls, or they won't call certain, certain times. They won't stop a guy from holding you, and they see it and they won't do it. And we had to, well, we just used to say, if you, if you won't, if you won't stop him from holding me, I'll, I'll stop him from holding me. But at that point, I just felt he was trying to take advantage of me, and um. Uh, and I just it got over. Got, got over a little bit aggressive with him, and I'm being what he is. He's not gonna let me get over aggressive. And we crashed, and but and I, you know, you look at stuff back now. I looked at him after it was all over. I should have went to him and say, "I'm sorry, Phil. I lost my, I lost my cool, and um, I just lost my cool. We good." But back then, no, if you get to some of the guy, you usually didn't say nothing to him. You know, you don't, you didn't, you, yeah. you didn't go back. And say anything, but like I say, hindsight, I look at it. I say I should have went to him and say, "There's a moment of the game that shouldn't happen." Because back then, you didn't get thrown out of a game for fighting. But not really. You had to really, really do something to get thrown out. To, for them to put you out of the game, you had to really, 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 really get going. Yeah, but I heard the refs didn't even call anything on on your on the aggression on the act back. So you didn't even get a foul called on you. Yeah, I had to because um, he shot a free throw. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, okay. the game, that game, been coming on TV for for years. Because people, as guys, I worked at a community center. Used to work mm-hmm. at a community center. And guys and guys would come in and say, "I didn't know you played in the NBA." Because I usually don't. I don't say nothing. I don't know why. But we had certain stuff in the, in the center where I worked at inside the glass glass case and let you know how much guys are looking are re- and reading certain things, are looking at certain things. And if they looked in the glass case, I don't know, they think they would have saw, yeah, they, cause I had a, uh, I got a basketball, uh, got a, I think I got a, I want to say um, a Detroit Pistons basketball when my basketball cards was in the, was in the, was in the case in the lobby. But, that, but they coming up to see that game and guy said, I didn't, I didn't know because he said, I heard Otto Moore. I'm still coming. He said, Otto Moore. Otto Moore. And he said, Otto Moore. He kept saying, Otto Moore. It got to be him. <laughs> you know, he said, it had to be you. I said, yeah. He said, I didn't know you played. I said, you want to tell And another, a lot of guys come in and say, I didn't know you played after seeing that game. But that, that game's been coming on. In fact, it was here. Ooh, I'm going to say... Maybe a month ago, uh, last month. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. It was on. It was on again because I got text. Somebody texted me uh, about seven in the morning. Uh, I was in Georgia. So I'm watching Otto. I'm watching Otto play, 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 uh, play the Knicks. Jazz play the Knicks. 
And I knew that, yeah, and I got a couple of texts, yeah. But um, but I, that that yeah, we we got tangled up. That was just I just a little minor thing. But that never had nothing again with Phil. As long as I this this time I was in the league, he was in the league. It was it was it was over. It, it it was forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm looking forward to watching this game tonight for the first time. It'll certainly be fun. Before I let you go, you spent two and a half seasons uh, with the New Orleans Jazz. Um, what was it like just playing here and knowing that the team eventually um, was able to get another team back in 02 with the Hornets and now the Pelicans, the fact that the team had to leave and go to Salt Lake City? But what what do you remember most about your time in New Orleans, whether it was just the city that you played in, whether it was playing in the Superdome? Um, what do you remember most about your time in the Big Easy? I remember the city, phenomenal city. I love New Orleans. Um, I always, uh, I love playing Superdome. I thought, I, I thought that was that was fantastic. Um, I know uh, we played the Lakers one night, and I, oh God, I see I, these numbers you throw in. I think I, we might have had thirty-two thousand that night, if not more. And just to see, you know, the crowd for the, that Laker game when uh, they came in the playoffs. And a couple other teams come in, and we get uh, 20, 20-some thousand. You know, the way they had it, you know, set for, you know, for basketball. And the player, you know, and people supported us. They they really supported us. And I know uh, they, were, they were for us. But I love the city. And uh, I probably, and I'd say probably if I would have, Stayed on that team and probably went to Utah. I probably would have made my home in uh, New Orleans more than likely because um, the city was great. The food, man, I can't tell anybody. You, I say, I've been places, I say, they got the food was fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I mean, great. It was great. The people were great. Never had any issues down there with anyone. You know, outside of basketball, and um, I just loved it. I love the city, though. I, the, 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 the weather was the weather was nice. I don't know what didn't happen with the weather now. All over, we we get cold here in Houston. I said, "This can be this cold this time of year." Nice, <laughs> 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 because I can remember being there, and you see, you look at other places, Detroit, Chicago, and man, how cold it was in in those places. Even Atlanta. Was cold, you know. Yeah. Cold, and it was warm. It was warm in New Orleans, man. I mean, we got no. some cold weather, but during the time, though, I, I could remember. I just could remember the weather being just being nice. Yeah, there's just a few moments. Nice. There's a few moments where it's it's kind of cold, but for the most part, I mean, right now it's just beautiful here. So we certainly are lucky yeah. with the with the weather. That's for sure. Otto, I really appreciate the time. This was really fun to listen to you. Um, talk about Pete and that game and the city of New Orleans. Um, I hope we can talk again soon. I, I hope you and your family remain safe there in Houston. And I hope you talk to you down the line. I really appreciate you coming on today. Same here. And and would you do me a favor, please? Mm-hmm. I always tell people to do me a favor. I, say, I don't know if they ever do it or not. Would you tell Bob McAdoo that I say hello and tell Bob McAdoo <laughs> that um, – <laughs> Tell <laughs> Bob McAdoo, like I said, I used to work at a community center here called Fundy Recreation Center. And when they saw me playing against Bob McAdoo, 
all the next day, they just came in and said, I saw Bob McAdoo light you up. Bob McAdoo <laughs> lifts you up. That's all I heard. But you tell Bob McAdoo, I've, I've never forgotten, you know, as, as, not as a, just as a player, but as a person, watching him coach all those years, you know, when he was with the Heat. And I should just say Bob McAdoo when he was over in, in Europe. And I, and I tell him I followed him, and, uh, and I still remember Bob McAdoo. And I tell everybody, Bob McAdoo can do. That was the thing we used to say. <laughs> Bob McAdoo can do. And anybody can say anything about who players, the best player, this guy, that guy. I always tell certain guys, I say, y'all didn't see Bob McAdoo. I say, y'all didn't see Andrew Tony. I tell them, guys, y'all didn't see. Y'all tell me about who's this, who's that. But y'all, you need to see Bob McAdoo. He was something to tell him, Bob McAdoo can do. <laughs> and to this day, we still say that while we're at. Bob McAdoo can do. And guys didn't see Bob McAdoo. They know the name. Some of them, I say, you had to see him, man. You had to, Absolutely. You had to see Bob McAdoo. He was something. But you tell Bob McAdoo, I say, hello, man. And I will do. I, I certainly will. Otto, I really appreciate the time again and stay safe. All right. You too. All right. So we just heard from Otto Moore, uh, a perspective from one of Maravich's teammates for that game. And now we bring in one of the opponents from that game. Of course, the Jazz were playing the Knicks that night. And on that team was NBA Hall of Famer Bob McAdoo, two-time NBA champion. He joins us now on the Pelicans podcast. Bob, first of all, how are you holding up right now? Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm I'm staying in with my uh, old butt, you know, to try to stay safe. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's kind of trying right now because you can't go anywhere. You know, this time of the year, I'm usually doing my scouting with the Miami Heat. But, you know, you know everything is closed down right now. But I'm safe. My family's safe. So I'm, I'm good. That's what matters the most. Glad you and your family are safe during this time. I actually kind of wanted to stroll down memory lane for you. I know you were on the opposite end of this game with the, um, with the Jazz defeating the Knicks that night, 124 to 107 tonight. Fox Sports New Orleans will replay the game from February 25th, 1977, as P. Maravich scored 68 points. Bob, first off, what do you remember about that game? Um, all I know is Pete, Pete went crazy. I mean, <laughs> when I look at the game now, if we had a three-point line, he'd have had at least 90 points because he was shooting the ball from so far out. It was just unbelievable. I mean, he had our premier defender, Walt Frazier, on him, and he just he just went around him over the top. It was it was just an unbelievable performance. Did you have a feeling at the beginning of the game that he started off hot and you thought, oh, boy, this could be trouble for you guys? Well, we, we knew Pete, you know, especially home games, he was, he was a handful. And uh, that night he took up the challenge because he – he knew Walt Frazier was an all-league defender, and he—he, he, I mean, he—he came—he came with it, something ferocious. I mean, he fast-breaking uh, shots from the top of the key, corner shots. He was all over the place. I like Pete Maravich. Obviously, you guys put Walt Frazier on him, but when you're game planning for a guy like Pete you know, what was the best approach to try to stop him, even though that was not successful that night in New Orleans? Well, you know, the, the game defensively, 
has changed than the way it is now. You know, if you see a guy going off in today's game, you usually double team him. But at that time, you know, you were left basically on an island. You know, if you had a guy, you, you had to guard him. You know, I mean, it was just like with Kareem. Kareem would be an impossible guard. You know, you had to guard him by yourself. You didn't have all this double teaming and uh, with, with 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 great offensive players like you do now. You just you just guarded your man and you just tried to handle the rest of the guys on the team. You know, I mean, we we never thought Pete was going to get 68, but he he did. He was he was just fantastic that night. I I've never been in a game where I've seen a performance like that. What made him so special as a player? You know, we talk about trying to defend him, and you guys had a hard time defending him that night. But just as as a player, as a competitor, um, what what was that like playing against Pete Maravich? Not only just this game, but in, in your many matchups with him. He was he was fearless. I mean, he was first of all he was a six five guard. He could shoot over anybody, any other guard that he played against. He was fast. You know. He could handle the rock. He could get anywhere he wanted to get on the court. And in transition was probably where he was at his best. Once the guys, his rebounders threw it out to him, uh, it was off to the races. And it, he was just impossible. He was so crafty with the ball. I mean, you, you just couldn't slow him from doing anything. He, he did whatever he wanted to do on the court. It's crazy about this game too. Is he also led his team in assist? Was was he a guy that was that unselfish, or was this just a night that you know he was feeling so good that he was even allowed to, to dish out some to some other of his teammates? Well, he he was their primary ball handler, so you know, uh, I guess when he finally took a break from scoring, you know, he would he was fantastic with finding his guys because when he when he get to you in transition, we would try to build a wall so he couldn't get all the way to the basket. And if we were fortunate enough to build that wall, usually his other teammates were open and he was very good at finding them when they were open for layups and stuff or jumpers, open jumpers. Was that wall some as close to a zone defense as you guys got to back in the seventies there? Was there zone That's, defense there? Or like you mentioned, it was pure man no, on man. No, we, we couldn't we couldn't actually play a zone, but when people were coming down on a fast break, you would try to build a wall. So if they had a player with uh Pete's talent, you know, Pete could not only shoot the jumper, he would get by you and get layups too. So we would always try to get back and create a wall so he would have to shoot a jumper because a layup is basically a hundred percent. At least you figure if the guy shoots a jumper, he's going to shoot 40 to 50%. So we try to build a wall. If we, if we got the wall up good, he couldn't get around us. And he didn't, if he thought he didn't have a good shot, he'd make great passes to his players for other jump shots or even get layups once they, you know, they got behind us. Bob, this might be an unfair question, and, and feel free to not answer it if you don't want to. But what you know, a lot of people these days like to compare players to other players. And I know with Pete, it's you know obviously a different era of basketball. But is there someone that, whether you could say how Pete would have done playing in this era of basketball, is there anyone out there right now that kind of reminds you of a Pete Maravich, or is he just kind of a, a one of a kind basketball player? 
I, th- I think Peter's a one-of-a-kind basketball player because, you know, when you see guys that score now, uh, they've got their, they've got the ball in their hands. You know, you got a 24-second clock. These guys got the ball in their hands for 20 out of the 24 seconds. Pete wasn't like that. You know, Pete would come down court and he'd make his move and shoot the shot quick or make his move to the basket. He he wasn't going to sit out there and dribble the ball, you know, 15, 20 times before he get a shot off like you see some of these scores now. He he wasn't like that. So I would have to say he was a one-of-a-kind type of talent. Bob, a couple more questions for you here. I'm glad you can join us on the podcast. I'm trying to picture what this – Superdome looked like for a basketball game back in the 70s, and I'll find out later tonight when they re-air this broadcast, but what was the atmosphere like in there when you guys entered the Superdome? It was it was great for us because, you, you know, people showed up for the game because of New York, New York Knicks. Uh, you know, they were coming to see Walt Frazier, Earl Monroe, Bob McAdoo, so we had named players that they came to see, but it, it was, I mean, it was a uh, fantastic place to play in. It was just so massive, you know, uh, the biggest arena arena in the league back then. But, uh, I mean, I guess it, it, it had to felt empty if you had 15 or 14,000 people in there because it was so big. But I, I, I don't know the exact, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many people were there for that game, but it, it, it mm-hmm. was a lot of people in there for that Knicks. Uh, New Orleans Jazz game. As far as like a home court advantage, was that something that was it an advantage for them based on the fact that they had such a, a large venue, the biggest one compared to everyone else that was playing in arenas? Or did that kind of make it easier for you guys because maybe the top of you as much as they normally would for, for a game? Yeah, yeah. I think you could say it was easier because the fans were not on top of you, but it, it was still a home game for for pistol i mean i mean we had the stats we knew pistol played i i don't know the exact stats but i mean i think pistol probably averaged maybe 36 37 at home and he probably averaged about 25 on the road we knew he was Mm -hmm. much better at home than he was on the road yeah absolutely very comfortable in his environment uh here in new orleans and one more question before we let you go obviously new orleans didn't get a team back until 2002 after they lost the team as they headed to Salt Lake. You know, with your times that you visited New Orleans as a, as a player and even as a tourist, you know, what does it mean to have a team back in New Orleans? Because, you know, you see the passion from these Pelicans fans now and you see a, a team on the rise. What does it mean to you just knowing that there is a franchise back in here that is starting to starting to make their move in the NBA? I, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, the people supported – the Jazz, when, uh, you know, I was in New York and, uh, you know, when I, you know, coaching for the Heat, you know, when we went back there, I mean, it was just, you know, you could just tell. It's just fantastic fan support. And now, you know, they've got Zion. they got a, a big draw. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. You know, and it's a city that all the players love to be in. We I can't think of the name of that street we stayed on with the hotel, but, uh, you know, we used to love before the games walking up and down the street. We, we just love the atmosphere of, uh, new Orleans when we were there. 
it was fantastic for our players coming in from other cities. I wonder if it was Bourbon Street that you guys were on. I don't know if it was going to be on that that street, but uh, you must have had a wild it time. Could have, it could have, it could have been Bourbon Street, but it was a, it was one street where I, I can't think of if it was, if it was a Ritz Carlton or Four Seasons. I don't know the name of the street, but it was a major street that had all the shops on it and stuff. And uh, you know, we we just love walking up and down the street because it was always packed with people all the time. Yeah, that nice could be Canal Street as well. What was the yeah. name of that? It might be Canal Street. If that brings it a bell. Be. Could have been, yeah. Could have been, yeah. Or Royal Street, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. It's the one that had all the shops on it. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, it could be either one of those. But either way, I'm glad that you all had a great time, and I think that's what yeah, every yeah, we... team likes about coming to New Orleans is just being able to walk yeah, around yeah. And, and see the people in uh, a great host city. Um, and, and you were a great guest today, Bob. I really appreciate the time. I know we were talking about a game where uh, not you personally, but your team allowed someone to score 68 points. But, you know, we're celebrating Pete Maravich today um, in, in this game. And I'm looking forward to watching it as someone that was not alive during that time. So I, I'm curious to see how it looks. And um, I certainly appreciate your insight being an opposing player that night. Okay, thank you. What a great podcast today. Two amazing guests. You know, as someone that didn't get to watch Pete Maravich, this was certainly fun learning a little bit more about him in this game tonight that you'll be watching on Fox Sports New Orleans, part of their encore programming, 7 p.m. Jazz versus Knicks from February 25th, 1977. Pistol Pete Maravich going off for 68 points. Fox Sports New Orleans will air a New Orleans Jazz Classic TV pregame show at 6.30 p.m., during which Pelicans play-by-play man Joel Myers will preview the contest and interview a number of the game's participants, including McAdoo, who you heard today, Maravich's Jazz teammate Jim McElroy, and Jazz official scorer and New Orleans basketball historian Bob Remy. So again, tune in tonight starting at 6.30 with Joel Myers, and then Jazz and Knicks from February 25th, 1977, as Pete Maravich scores 68 points. Hope you all can enjoy the stroll down memory lane tonight. It'll certainly be fun watching it um, as well, getting to know a lot more about Pistol Pete. All right, that'll do it for today's podcast. Until the next one, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seaton.